Hi, you're listening to The Wing Woman, a podcast brought to you by journalists and best mates, Charlie Gowans Eglinton, that's me, and Frankie Gradden, that's her. Franks, how are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. How are you? Oh, yeah, fine and dandy. Just clocked your fireplace behind you. <sighs> Painted it. Changing rooms, Charlie's rented flat edition continues. I can't stop. I've been to Little Green on Cross Street to click and collect more times than I can tell you, but I'm so happy with it. It's an olivey green. What's the colour called? Because I do enjoy the paint colours of these poshy paint companies. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's called St Luchin's Sage. Mm, Lovely. It's a sage, but it's warmer than a sage because I don't like a grey anything. I'm very happy with it. Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look good? It's just a pine fire surround. There's not an actual fire in there, but there's the hole. And when it rains, some water does come down. So that's nice to be in the elements. <laughs> and now my Zoomscape's so much better. Unlike me, I've just got the washing behind me, which is nice for you to look at. Well, you know what, though? It tells me that you do a lot of washing. So that's good. Talking of washing, I've just noticed a dried on food stain on the jumper that I'm wearing. I think I've forgotten how to eat properly. Mm. I don't know why so many of my clothes are covered in food stains. Because the other day, I spent forever vanishing a curry stain out of a top. Why can I not get food in my mouth? Something's happened. I'm blaming lockdown. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's too much going on to worry about things going inside your mouth. But also, I wonder if the anxiety of knowing that if you drop something, it would stain, makes you drop it. Mm. Because I don't seem to drop a piece of bread I mean, obviously, when I eat a pan of chocolate, it looks like I've been in some kind of pastry blizzard. But (laughs) (laughs) normally, I only drop things that will stain on myself. Yes, agreed. Or I'll choose to shuck a pomegranate while wearing a white shirt and then be really upset with myself. (laughs) Actually, the amount of times I've sat down to eat a curry and then noticed I'm wearing a white T-shirt. And I'm sure I don't wear white T-shirts that often. Mm. Anyway, I think I've turned into an absolutely grotty eater. What happens when I have to go and eat in public places outside? Maybe we can morph the masks into eating bibs and it just goes across your nose, tucks behind your ears and then it's loose down and you just sneak the fork up underneath so no one can see. That would be nice. Maybe there needs to be a little scoop attached to the bottom to just catch the bits that fling off the fork that don't seem to make it into my trap. Like those baby's bibs that scoop round. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> and then at the end of the meal, I can just tap them into my palm. <laughs> Great. What have you been up to? Well, I'm very excited that it's a short week. We're recording Cracko Dawn on Thursday morning. So if you hear the bin man again, apologies. I delivered myself some hot cross buns from Gail's. So that was a high point. Delish. How are Gail's hot cross buns? I haven't tried them. Absolutely glorious. I mean, I like them cut in half in the toaster, Mm. lose a raisin in there that will just smoke forever in the toaster. (laughs) Yeah. And then a lot of butter. Loads. That's how I like them. And salted butter. Oh, yeah. Salty. Of course. On the sweet. It's a perfect storm in my mouth. So that was glorious. And also, great news, I've worked out how we can go on holiday this year. Tell me. Because Frankie and I, actually, our last girls' holiday in summer 2019, we went to Dea in Mallorca with a few nights in Parma. Yes. Oh, my God. Was that two years ago? Yeah, it was, I know. Yeah, of course it was. So this year, we can go back to Mallorca on Love Island. (laughs) Oh, yes, because Love Island's back. Uh Uh-huh. It's back. It's in Mallorca again. 
It's returning, I've written this down, just in case anyone's a big fan, June 28th. I'll be tuning in, for sure. You won't need to tune in, because we'll be there. Oh, because I'll be there. Sorry, keep up, Francesca. Otherwise, I'm not sure, you know, vaccine passports, etc. Mm-hmm. Whether we'll be allowed out of the country. But obviously, Love Island is essential work. And, and, it ties in with, you know, my intention to have a hot girl summer, where I just flirt with everyone. Have loads of sex. Well, yeah, in an ideal world. I mean... Fast forward to September where I'm like, so we're in a two-year accidental celibacy streak. <laughs> Great. Get an article out of that. Yeah, so are you in? Yeah, I'm in. I've never seen anyone with a baby there, but surely that means they're missing a trick, right? I think it's fine. I think, you know, let's open up the parameters of Love Island. New mums need love too. Yeah. And yes, I'm married, but no judgment. Let's be modern about this, shall we? It's been a long lockdown. I mean, come on, everyone sit to the back teeth of their own partners. Let's spice it up a little bit. You know, they do that challenge where they bring the plastic babies in. Oh, yeah. They could buy one less plastic baby. <laughs> yeah. I've BYO'd. That sounds like enough to sell it to them just in itself. Do you think that will get me in? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I would be horrified to see myself in amongst the gorgeousness that is... Love Island contestants. I think it's going to be a shock if any of us do need to wear bikinis for any reason. Just to see that much of your skin in the sunlight. Because it's always a shock when you put a bikini on, isn't it? You're like, whoa, this is so much skin. Can I walk around like this? It's naked. But because we didn't have it last summer, or at least I didn't, I did some wild swimming, but that was in a sort of wetsuit situation. I mean, a Love Island itsy bitsy bikini up my jacksy would be alarming. <laughs> Speaking of bikinis... Chloe Kardashian. Chloe Kardashian. I think she looks cracking, but that's not the point. So the story is, over the weekend, Chloe Kardashian had a bikini shot of her, put on her Instagram. It was swiftly removed because her team have said it's infringed on her copyright because apparently it was posted without her authorisation. Although how things get posted to your own Instagram account without your authorisation is a mystery to me. Anyway, she's in a leopard print bikini from her own swimwear range. Is it called Good America? Good American, yeah. And it is decidedly less airbrushed and filtered than her usual pictures. Although, yes, as you say, I think she looks amazing. So it's been taken down. Speculation is because it's not an airbrushed picture. And as we know, the Kardashians love a filter. Who doesn't? Who doesn't in this Instagram age? So how do we feel about this? I read the story and was angry that it had been taken down because the pictures they put out are so filtered and so perfected. I think they contribute hugely to a very unrealistic idea of what beauty is and what bodies should look like. And I think that's incredibly damaging for women and men looking at that and trying to adhere to that or feeling inadequate because they don't adhere to that. And how refreshing it would have been to see a picture of Chloe looking a little bit more relatable, a little bit more attainable. But then I actually saw a post that Jamila Jamil put on her Instagram that sort of pointed out that Actually, of course, Chloe took the picture down. Of course, she felt that she can only put a very filtered, airbrushed image of herself up because the media scrutiny of 
that family and particularly her the media are incredibly mean to her means that she feels she can only put up a very perfected version of herself so now I don't really know what I feel I feel angry but I also feel incredibly sorry for her I think it's just sad the whole thing is an extension of the selfie face problem which has really come into play over this last year because we've all been on zoom we haven't been seeing people in real life you're constantly looking at yourself I can see myself now as I'm talking to you and yes I try to concentrate on you but I do end up looking down at myself and thinking god there's not much jaw definition there is there you are constantly seeing yourself whereas perhaps it would be much healthier to only glimpse myself in a mirror a few times a day when I'm washing my hands. I think it's really sad that if that is the case, that for her looking at this picture of herself, just as she looks day to day, if she doesn't think that that is Instagram worthy or aspirational enough, I think that's really sad. But I do think it's damaging that the Kardashians, their fame and the body shape that they have did give us a diversity in terms of what young women especially were looking at and thinking was aspirational because we grew up just with the supermodels and that was all you wanted to look like were the supermodels or maybe a pop star who was just a shorter version of a supermodel but everyone was very very thin big boobs if it was a pop star no boobs if it was a supermodel there was a very narrow vision one ideal So, yes, it was great that the Kardashians came along and we had this very different body shape that perhaps more women would be able to relate to. But actually, it's such a perfected version of that body shape that it's something that very few women could achieve. I think whether or not they have plastic surgery, they definitely go to personal trainers constantly. They have very special diets. They would be going to dermatologists and all of this. But then... Not only are they perfecting it, perfecting in inverted commas, not only are they doing that in real life Mm. and actually changing the way their body looks so that if you did see them on the street, you'd think, God, why is my bottom behind my knees and hers is halfway up her back? But then when they take a picture, they perfect it even further and they get rid of things like skin texture. So actually, if you looked at celebrities on Instagram, you would think no one has a pore. It's not possible to get rid of your pores. You would think no one has a stretch mark on their body or a thigh dimple or any cellulite. And that's really damaging. Yeah, it is. And I think we're sort of in this cycle of just feeding more and more unrealistic images into the Instagram ether. I mean, even when you look at the Kardashians 10 years ago, the versions of themselves now are such sort of heightened versions of this perfect femininity. It's just, you know, they're almost sort of caricatures. But I guess you just have to think, how has it got to that? Why has this happened? And I think the media pressure on them is tremendous. I think when they got into this, we couldn't have known where social media was going. We couldn't have known the level of their fame, when they were revealing their Dorothy Perkins collaboration in Westfield, the level of scrutiny that would impact every aspect of their life. And yes, they do choose it. They choose it when they choose to be on social media, when they choose to share so much of their lives with us. But I can't even begin to imagine how that would feel, because I know how I feel when there's a picture of me 
in a newspaper. There's a picture of me in a newspaper today and I think I look horsey and toothy and my hair's sort of slicked around the side of my face and my forehead looks enormous. And the self-loathing that I've directed at that one picture, I just can't even begin to imagine what it would be like if people were actually chiming in going, why is her forehead so large? And why do her teeth show when she smiles? Imagine if other people were saying what was inside my head and imagine if it was every day and imagine if it was in the media. Yeah. Well, actually, Chloe put a statement out on her Instagram following the picture being taken down over the weekend. So she's done a video of herself in her bikini, looking amazing. Her body is quite extraordinary. And then she's put a statement that I'll just read a bit out from. So she said, in truth, the pressure, constant ridicule and judgment my entire life to be perfect and to meet other standards of how I should look has been too much to bear. Chloe is the fat sister. Chloe is the ugly sister. Her dad must not be her real dad because she looks so different. The only way she could have lost that weight must have been from surgery. Should I go on? I think that's the bit that makes me feel so sorry for her. Yes, they are in the public eye. Yes, they bear everything in terms of their lives and their bodies. They are reality TV stars and that's sort of what comes with being a reality TV star. You just share everything. But in the media, whether it's mainstream or social, women's bodies are so judged, are so looked at. And for her, yeah, she has always kind of been singled out. You know, her other sisters are so petite and she has had the finger pointed at her of looking a bit different. And that must be so difficult to live with. And you then can see why she would perfect herself to the level that she has and be upset when something that she thinks is unflattering is put on social media for the world to see. But I think also what's quite troubling about this story is that although she's taken it off her social media and she has said she doesn't want it in the public arena, it is plastered all over the tabloids' websites. I mean, I'm on the Daily Mail and I'm looking at it now. Isn't that sort of disturbing that that's her, that's a picture of her in swimwear at her home that's incredibly intimate and she's decided that she doesn't want to share that. However, she can't do anything about that. That is out there and she doesn't have ownership of... That picture, I think current copyright laws are whoever takes the picture owns it and it's unclear who's taken this picture. But once things are on Instagram, there's a grey area in terms of media usage. Yeah. Which it kind of harks back to what Emily Ratajkowski wrote about when she wrote about buying her body back. How bizarre that there could be an image out there that is of you that you are not able to control and that people are able to do whatever they want with. Mm. How bizarre. Well, isn't it? And how damaging. And how this isn't the long lens pap shot, which is bad enough. This is something that was taken perhaps with the belief that it was just for private consumption. It just seems so odd that that is allowed, that pictures of you can be put out there and you don't have any say over it. You can't do anything about it. I think that it's one thing to feed the social media beast with pictures that you want. But when you've explicitly said, I don't want this out there, for then to be taken out of your hands. A note to how things can end up on your account without you knowing. If you've got a team, easily done. I once, on a work social media account, it's not a job I still work in, this was years ago, so you'll never know which one it was, put up a video of, I was on a hen do and we were getting vodka shots out of a water pistol. And I put that video on what I thought was my Instagram and it was the works Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) 
it was only up for about two minutes because I tagged one of my friends and she was like, why has blah blah tagged me? Knew that that's where I worked and I absolutely shit my pants and took it down. And thankfully it was <laughs> the middle of the night so no one had seen it. But it happens. It's very easy to toggle between accounts on Instagram. It's incredibly easy. So if you go on the wing woman and there's a video of someone getting vodka shots out of a water pistol, it's my fault, okay? <laughs> danger, danger. Well, do you know what? If I look half as good as unretouched Chloe in a leopard print bikini this summer, I would be chuffed with myself. What would you like to talk about, Chazo? Well, Now, I've been meaning to read this piece for 10 years. No, I haven't really. But it is a 10-year-old piece that has been recirculated. It is called, What Does Procrastination Tell Us About Ourselves? And it's in The New Yorker. And it's by James Surowiecki, who is an author. It's a proper long read about procrastination, why we do it. And there are different theories for why we do it. At one point, it suggests that the person who makes plans and the person who fails to carry them out are different people, which I enjoy very much. So I shouldn't be blamed for not doing something that I've said I will do because it wasn't me. It was other Charlie. Yeah, and she shouldn't commit to things that she knows I'm not going to want to do. But what can you do with that, you know? And here's a little quote. The philosopher Mark Kingwell puts it in existential terms. Procrastination most often arises from a sense that there is too much to do and hence no single aspect of the to-do worth doing. Underneath this rather antic form of action as inaction is the much more unsettling question whether anything is worth doing at all. Oh. Maybe if you're putting it off, it's because there's no point in doing it. It might be because you're weak-willed. But maybe you just don't need to do it. I procrastinate all the time. And it is a sign of stress with me sometimes, like the potted plant I talked about that fell over and there was some dirt on the floor and I left it there for I don't know how long. I procrastinate all types of things. I think journalists are particularly notoriously bad for this. I certainly am. I need a hard deadline. And I was like this at uni. But you are less of a procrastinator. How does that feel? I don't know if I am. I read this piece and I definitely identified with things just feeling overwhelming. And so then not knowing where to start. You sort of are looking at a long list of to-dos and you can't figure out where to start so then you just don't. I think I might have got worse at procrastinating as I've got older. I remember being very able in my teens and 20s to just sit down and do a task but I seem to have completely lost that ability. I think lockdown this last year has made procrastination a hell of a lot worse for a lot of people just sort of having the motivation to do something at all, to sit yourself down and do X, Y and Z. Definitely feelings of, ugh, is this even worth doing? I think maybe also a sense of immediate gratification, as in this last year, no one's really known what's happening next week. No one's known what's happening tomorrow. So for me, there has been a slight sense of, fuck it, let's just do the thing that I want to do today which inevitably isn't cleaning my shoes or eBaying the boxes and boxes of toot that I have in the spare room. Otherwise, no one can fit in the spare room. I think that played into it massively. But yes, I think writing is rife for procrastination. I do think that's also part of the creative process, though. I think you need to sort of stew and mull before you can sometimes produce some words. 
I enjoyed in this piece the inclusion of the fact that Victor Hugo, who is a famous French writer, would write naked and tell his valet to hide his clothes so that he'd be unable to go outside when he was supposed to be writing. Brilliant technique. Absolutely (laughs) brilliant technique, which I probably need to employ at some point when I should have written something and I'm dilly-dallying around. He would have loved lockdown. Well, (laughs) he could have just sat naked in his house and still never written. That one where we were only allowed to go out for an hour-long walk a day, he would have loved that. He would have absolutely loved it. I personally have not been productive through any of them. It's not helped me being stuck in my house. No, and again, I think that has contributed to procrastination because there are so many opportunities to undertake menial household chores which is the best form of procrastination. Procrastinating, I feel like I am fantastic at. Why write 2,000 words when you can hoover the downstairs carpet? I always think what you need is something that you so much don't want to do that it makes all the things you also don't want to do seem doable and you would rather do those. So you need something so annoying. That's how I did my taxes this year. I was procrastinating something to the extent that I was like, I'm just going to do my taxes before I do this. <laughs> I, I procrastinated, And that's how I do anything, really. I have to just have something that I'm procrastinating to the extent that I'll do the other things. But that's good because in this piece, I don't have the piece in front of me, so I don't have the stat, but there is a statistic that said it's an American piece, that there was a large proportion of Americans who ended up overpaying on their tax because they hadn't filed their tax return in time because they procrastinated so much that they didn't do their tax. So procrastination does actually cost us money, which is nuts. I mean, I would love to meet someone who just doesn't procrastinate at all. Think how much more time we would have. Think how much headspace we would have. Actually, we were talking about this yesterday, weren't we? Procrastinating with work. And when you have a freelance gig and you give your client a day rate, our day rate needs to start taking into consideration anxious time that we spend procrastinating not doing the piece but thinking about the piece worrying about the piece etc etc i think this needs to start to be considered into our fees exactly i did a half day writing that for you but then i did three days (laughs) worrying about it so i mean that's a half rate easily (laughs) oh it 100 percent is it's a really interesting piece i love those long reads they really get to the ins and outs of it all and i think procrastination is something that we all do so i think it was such a interesting examination of it i definitely would recommend anybody to read it i think anything that gives you an insight into your own psyche it's funny how we are sort of our own worst nightmares Mm. in so many respects but it's that sort of self-sabotage element that I think is just funny I mean it can be so painful procrastinating but I think also maybe there's something to be said for just accepting that procrastination happens and just not fighting it sometimes just enjoying cleaning out the bin because you don't want to do your work I think what I need to get to is the point where I think look I'm not going to write The Wing Woman until Sunday morning and I'm not going to choose the shopping for it until eight o'clock on Saturday evening. So when I wake up at 8am on Saturday, I shouldn't immediately start thinking about The Wing Woman and then spend the whole day going, got to write The Wing Woman, got to write The Wing Woman. (laughs) I really should be doing this. Because if I could just be like, no, I write that in the evening, that'd be great. 
So, Franks, what are your recommendations this week? Oh, I've got such a nice recommendation. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) It is this week's Conversations on Love. So Conversations on Love is a wonderful newsletter written by Natasha Lund, who is the features director of Red Magazine. And she has this beautiful newsletter, which she interviews people about love. She's actually got a book coming out this summer, which compiles a lot of these interviews, conversations, which I'm very much looking forward to. So the most recent newsletter was an interview with Delia Efron, who, of course, is Nora's sister. And what I found so lovely about this newsletter is that they talk about sibling love and sibling relationships. And I think when we talk about love, we very often focus on romantic love. We are getting better at talking about friendship, love, especially female friendship, but I very rarely read anything about sibling relationships. So this was just such a lovely insight. And of course, it being Nora and Delia, I'm such a big Nora fan. So anything that gives an insight into that relationship is immediately very interesting. But what I loved was how Delia describes the complex nature of sibling relationships. So Delia has three sisters, including Nora, obviously, Nora being the eldest. And she talks about the nurturing motherly relationship that she had with Nora, but also how in a sibling relationship, you've got permission to be critical of one another. So in one breath, you have this incredibly close, almost parental relationship, very nurturing, caring, but then you can be savage to each other because you're you're so close to one another. And she talks about how you don't have the same rules as you do with a friendship where, yes, okay, friends can be critical of one another, but there are lines that you don't cross. But when you are siblings, you sort of don't have that. It's a free-for-all. And I just thought that was so interesting. She says, we know everything about each other. Whose thighs are cuter? Who has better ankles? I never made those comparisons with my friends. Of course, my family was critical, but I don't think siblings are safe places for everyone. I must say, I talk to my siblings every week. I miss them, but it's different from my girlfriends. There are rules in friendships and not in sibling relationships. I enjoyed that. What I also enjoyed is her talking about Nora. So Nora died in 2012. And Natasha asks, what do you miss about her the most? And Delia replies, oh, the fun. She was just so much fun. What she's up to right now, I wonder. Because even if you were meeting her somewhere and her flight was cancelled, she would somehow take the next plane. She would not do what I would do, which is say, oh, forget it and go home. She would be there. And if you thought you were having dinner with one person, it was usually six because Nora loved a party. She loved to feed you. Things would always arrive. She lived in a very big way. I'm a more introverted person, but I sure loved having it around me. She loved and took care of me too. And I miss the love. I miss loving her. Ugh, isn't that just just gorgeous Mm. so wonderful i just enjoyed that hugely and if you haven't signed up to the conversations on love newsletter i strongly recommend you do natasha speaks to really interesting people and i think love is such a lovely topic to discuss and to read about especially when the world feels a bit yeah do you know what i mean yeah this made me miss my sister oh 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 sorry babe i'll ring her yeah ring her Give her a call. I've got another quick recommendation. It is Adrian Dunbar on Elizabeth Day's How to Fail. So, late to the party, I have just got into Line of Duty. Oh, my God. I've still not started it. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I've binge-watched it. We started right at the beginning, and I'm now on season four. Wow. 
yeah it is gripping it's bbc on iplayer if you want to watch it it's a police drama based in ac12 which is the anti-corruption department i thought that was a year in the future do you know what i mean ac12 (laughs) and robots have taken control of the earth (laughs) anyway adrian dunbar plays ted hastings like the battle which is what he says on the show which i love Okay. I mean, Hastings isn't that hard to remember that you need a... Yeah, you know, give him that. He's brilliant. He's got loads of good catchphrases. He says, Ben Coppers a lot. Sorry, that was a really terrible Northern Irish accent. Do you know what, though? I knew you were doing Northern Irish. Did you? Yeah. That's good. So, as an expert, obviously, I'm sure you won't have offended any Northern Irish people. Please don't write in, guys. We're sorry. He's such a great character in the series... And he is just as great to listen to on this podcast. He talks to Elizabeth about growing up in Northern Ireland in the 70s during the height of the Troubles and how that has just had such a massive impact on his childhood and on his community. He talks about imposter syndrome, which is a topic I'm interested in and always amazed by how many people suffer from imposter syndrome. I think the funny thing about imposter syndrome is you feel like you're the only one that feels not good enough and not worthy. And it's just so evident that actually this is something that so many people talk about and suffer from so I think that's always a really valid conversation to listen to he talks about feeling a sense of failure as a father and how his relationship with his father has played into how he has fathered his children but what I really liked about the interview was that he talks about achieving success a bit later in life and he says that he is pleased that he didn't reach success in his early life he was much more equipped to deal with it when it came along. And actually, this is something that Delia speaks about in her interview in Conversations on Love. She says, I didn't really start my life until my 30s. I really like this idea of achieving success later in life because I think right now we have this idea of success having to happen when you're quite young. And I don't know if it's like an Instagram thing and a social media thing. I guess we've always had people in the public eye who have achieved success at a very young age, but it sort of feels like if you haven't got the book deal, bought the great house, got the brilliant position high up in the ranks of whatever you're doing in your 20s right now, you've somehow missed the boat. I think we do see it as more valuable when someone achieves something at a young age. You know, we talk about wonderkins and there's the 30 under 30 lists. Yeah. I've just been writing about Whitney Wolf Hurd, the Bumble founder, who's now the world's youngest self-made female billionaire at 31. And there's this constant, you're the youngest person to achieve that. Mm. So there's almost like, oh yeah, if you did that in your early 20s, it would be impressive, but now not so much. Yeah, we definitely celebrate success at a young age. And I think, I mean, I've thought several times, oh, okay, well then... I'll never do X, Y, and Z because I haven't already achieved it. And I think it's really nice to remind yourself that life is long and experience is a brilliant, valuable thing. And actually that success can happen at any stage in life. It doesn't have to be when you're young. It can be when you're older and you can go into great and brilliant things. I enjoyed that sentiment very much. Oh, also, if you haven't watched season six of Line of Duty, there is a spoiler about 10 minutes in to this podcast. So just skip over the whole 10 minute, go straight to 11 minutes. That's so generous of you because you've had it spoiled for you. Well, they started 
the sentence and I could see where it was going. So I just really quickly fast forwarded it. So I don't actually know what the spoiler is, but I know there's a spoiler. And I don't want that for me or for anybody else. Smart, smart cookie. Anyway, what are your recommendations? So Radio 6 Music Festival obviously did not take place with an audience this year, but they've recorded some gigs and these are all on BBC iPlayer. And I watched Michael Kiwanuka. Oh God, I love him so much. He's brilliant. And so it's a live set and he's got his band behind him and it's in Alexandra Palace, which is completely empty and quite dark. And there's just lighting over the stage and it feels like a really intimate gig. And yes, okay, live music is brilliant. But if you were actually there, you wouldn't be anywhere near the stage. There'd be loads of other people. Someone really tall would be standing in front of you. And I mean, I want all of those things, but there is something to be said for watching it in this way and getting to see his face and see his hands move on instruments. And all of that is really lovely, actually. So there's a series of them. There's one with Laura Marling. I watched the beginning of one with Poppy Ajuda. So I would definitely recommend those. And even if you were just going to listen to some music while you're doing something in your house, obviously you don't have to watch the whole time. But... I really enjoyed it. Great. Also, a dodgy TV recommendation. So I've watched the first episode of This Is My House. Oh, is that with Stacey Dooley? Yeah. So right, old BBC loving. Our um, TV licences are really paying for themselves this week, aren't they? (laughs) So I watched the first episode of This Is My House. I'm surprised it's BBC because it feels much more like a Channel 5 programme. I mean, that sounds like someone at the BBC needed some new programming. It's really dodgy. I'd seen the ads for it and thought, that looks dodgy, but also I might maybe want to watch it. I nearly switched it off in the first five minutes because it is really bizarre. But I got through, I think it's an hour long, too long. So the first episode, the episode I've seen, you get a house tour of this house and four women are all saying that their name is Gemma. And it's their house. And there's a panel of celebrities, including Jimmy Carr, who's got new hair. It's transformative, his new hair. He looks like a different person. Oh, I'll check him out. Yeah, I mean, it says a lot for what end of lockdown haircuts will do for us all. Because hair just can change your whole face. I wonder if it could actually give me that lift that I'm looking for. Anyway, there's a panel of celebrities watching and trying to guess whose house it is and if they get it right if the person whose house it is convinces them then they win a thousand pounds and if they get it wrong they don't get anything so these other women actors I assume they're all actors it's so bizarre so they're walking around this house together and one of them will say oh I bought this painting blah 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 and then you cut to off camera and one of them's like I can't believe she said that about my original artwork it's obviously not a print I'm not going to spoiler it for anyone by telling you who it is because that's part of the fun I did guess I got it right at the beginning she was my first instinct and then at the end I thought it was her again but I will admit that throughout the show I kept thinking oh no actually maybe it's her like when I read a murder mystery And then I get to the end and I'm like, I knew it. And it's like, yeah, but I've considered every possibility. So it is really bizarre, but really compelling. And I do like nosing around people's houses. So that appealed to me that we were going to walk around someone's house and see how other people live, because I do always enjoy that. So that's a fun element. Well, that's it in a nutshell. Wrap us up, Franks. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe and tell your friends. You can also find us in written form with our fortnightly newsletter at thewingwoman.co.uk. And you can follow us on social media at Charlie Gowans, at Frankie Gradin and collectively at thewingwoman underscore. And feel free to drop us an email if you want to say hi, ask a question, anything really, at thewingwomanofficial at gmail.com. We'll see you in a fortnight. By which point, we'll be reporting back from our first experiences of pubs and restaurants. Oh, how lovely. I might be drunk, just to warn you. Surely not if we're recording in the morning. Wouldn't put it past me. (laughs) We will see you then. Bye. Bye.